A good evening and a warm welcome to all witches, weirdos, goblins and ghouls you are listening to the London Horror Society podcast. This is the podcast where we chat to people working across the genre, whether they be established or emerging, in front of or behind the camera, from first assistant director to final girl. Without any further ado, grab yourself a glass of Chianti, sit back, relax, enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. Huge thank you to everybody who listened to our episode last week with Graham Humphreys. This week, we speak with author and filmmaker Janine Pipe. I won't give too much away here, but uh, it is a really good chat, and I'm really grateful to Janine for being so generous with her time. Uh, Just before we jump in, I just wanted to let you know that this is the season one finale. Uh, Season one of the London Horror Society podcast is drawing to a close, but it's not all bad news. Um, Stick around to the end and I will give you a little bit more info on what that means for the future of the podcast and what you can be expecting from the London Horror Society over the next few months. But until then, here is my conversation with Janine Pipe. Are you a witch, weirdo, goblin, or ghoul? I'm going to go with a ghoul. Excellent. I think you're our second ghoul. Why ghoul, if you don't mind? Um, Because there's a Brian Keane book called Ghoul, which is one of my favorite coming-of-age books. So that came straight to mind. Um, And I just like the way that it sounds as well. Ghoul. That's my only reason. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's absolutely (laughs) fine. Um, So... I know that you're a filmmaker. Um, you've recently wrapped on her, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, really excited to hear about that. You're also in pre-production on Footsteps, but uh, I know that you also started as an yes. author. Um, could you tell me a little bit um, about how your career as an author started? Like most people, probably, especially within our genre, um always been a reader lifelong reader and again you know sort of like so many people started off reading Stephen King way way too young um but also English was always my favorite subject at school um so I started creatively writing as a teenager probably um homages to point horror were the first kind of things that I did like point horror fan fiction basically about sort of 13 14 um, and even when I went to university, even though I did criminology because I wanted to be a police officer, whenever we had electives that we could choose, I always did creative writing. So I have always written in one form or another. And my first kind of paid writing was actually, which is my other love um, in life, is Disney. Um, and my first paid mm-hmm. writing was actually for a Disney travel blog. Um, so I have been writing one way or another for a long time. And it actually was lockdown that gave, and just before lockdown that gave me kind of a kick up the ass. And I, I suddenly had more time on my hands. And I thought to myself, right, do you know, if it's a kind of a now or never, I'm going to actually send something off and see if what I write is worth being published or not. 
And thankfully, you know, things were chosen for anthologies and blogs and stuff like that. And it just spiraled really, really fast. So I actually had my first story published. It was something like March 2020. So it's actually not that long oh, wow. ago. That was like the first month of yeah. lockdown. Yeah. So you didn't waste any time at all. So you were like, in lockdown, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a go. And then and then it happens like yeah. weeks later. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> That's kind of my ethos as well. It's very much what no matter what I do, I don't wait around. You know, the whole mm -hmm. life's too short kind of thing. And if you wait for other people to ask you to do things, it might never happen. So if you're gonna do something, just do it yourself. Mm. Quite taking taking matters into exactly. your own hands, yes. I suppose. Yeah, that's that's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, as have like people that I speak to at LHS and just other other filmmakers and creatives. Like, they have that kind of moment where they just go, "I'm just going to yeah. do it. Take matters into my own hands." So, how did the um the book uh, Sausages come about? <laughs> uh, the making of Dog Soldiers. I still, I mean, I've spoken about this so many times, but it still is almost a pinch me moment. Basically, Dog mm. Soldiers has been my favorite film for as long as I can remember. And it just so happened that it was, um, so let's see, it must have been, must have been 2021, round about October 2021. And I was looking at things that I wanted to pitch to Fangoria. That was a bucket list um, thing to, to write an article for Fangoria. And I realized that um, Dog Soldiers was going to be 20 years old the following year. So I actually pitched an idea to Phil over at Fangoria and said, would I be able to write a celebratory article celebrating 20 years of Dog Soldiers? Because back Mm -hmm. um, when Dog Soldiers first came out, they'd covered it in one of the original Fangorias. And he was like, yeah, definitely. But you do, it, it can't just be from your perspective as much as that would be lovely. You need to be able to interview at least Neil and hopefully Sean and a couple of the others as well. Um, and mm -hmm. it's, so basically it's in your hands now, you know, off you go and see what you can do. So um, I can I can remember just kind of like emailing Neil's agent and being like, this is a really big thing for me. And what if he says no? <laughs> then where am I going to be kind of thing? And obviously he didn't. Um, and I spoke to Neil a couple of weeks later um, and he hooked me up with, I spoke with Sean Pertwee and um, Darren Morfitt for that one um, and a couple of the guys that had um, worked on the special effects and things and got a really, really good feature. Um, but what I realised very quickly was there was way more that we could say than this 2000 word limit that I had with Fangoria. And although I'm incredibly proud of that article and obviously it was the catalyst for it all, there was just so much more that I wanted to say. So I'd actually said to Neil um, originally, um, how would you feel about maybe writing a biography about him, sort of chron chronicling all of his um, films? And he said, yeah, you know, anybody would you know, really like to have that done. But I've just got um, You've Got Red On You, which was the um, the making of Shaun of the Dead. And it's by Clark Collis. And he said, and it's a beautiful book. And uh, you know, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, this is really interesting. And I've always had in the back of my mind, what if somebody wrote a book about dog soldiers? Would you like to be that person and write a book about dog soldiers? And I can remember just sitting there and being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what 
you you want me to write a book about dog soldiers? Okay, then. And I already knew the exact press that I wanted to speak to, which was in Psychopocalypse, because they were um, putting out lots of film novelizations. And I just got the Fright Night novelization myself. Um, and I knew they did lots of old ones like Wishmaster and all kinds of things like that. So I managed to get hold of uh, uh, an email address for them, quickly spoke to their editor over there, and I was like, how would you feel about maybe publishing a book at the making of dog soldiers? And they were like, yes, whatever you want. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this book has to be made. And it just spiraled from there. And it was unbelievable. And I think because I went into it again with the attitude of, as well of, look, this is a celebration. I want to know all of the behind the scenes stories and all of that kind of thing. thing. I don't want any dirt. I'm I'm not a journalist, you know. Yeah. I'm not looking yeah, yeah. to dig anything up. I don't want you to like, you know, like tell me stories about who was rude and who did that. I don't want to know any of that. I don't think there was any of that because they all had such a bloody good time. But I wasn't interested. Yeah. And as soon as people know that you're not trying to do that, they immediately warm to you and they open up and they, you know, they'll just talk and talk. And they also had such a bloody good time. And they were all like, oh, and I remember the night that we all got drunk and we did this and whatnot. And it was just brilliant. And time and time again, the guys said to me how much they enjoyed talking to me as well. It was like go, going down memory lane for them. And they were like, were like reconnecting. Yeah. You know, I talked to Kev McKid and he'd be like, oh, give Sean my love. I haven't spoken to him for ages. And it was just so lovely to mm-hmm. be a part of it. Yeah, amazing. I think, yeah. It's a lovely book. Like I, I love like a behind the scenes look at films. I think that's how I kind of got into filmmaking mm. myself. Um, I would, uh, I always had like a made sure if I bought a DVD, it had the behind yes. the scenes, and I would pay extra for like a steel book or something like that, uh, just to kind of get a behind the scenes look. And I love all of that stuff. Um, and you know, with the exception of a few books, I'm sure there are, there are more out there, but there's not that many books, whereas there are kind of more behind the scenes documentaries yeah. and stuff. So it isn't really nice to be able to enjoy a film that I really love, um, kind of from somebody else's perspective, like your yeah. perspective, um, who also clearly loves the film and is loving writing the book yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> It, yeah, it's a, it's a really lovely lovely read, and you obviously speak about it with such great affection. How, how did you kind of find your avenue into filmmaking? I I can't explain it exactly. There wasn't like you know like a, just a moment where I was like, oh, you know, like light bulbs. But I think the and again, I was very honest going into pe- when I was speaking with people like Sam McCurdy, for example, who was the DOP. Um, and he was really kind of generous of his time as I was asking really stupid questions about different things to do with like the cameras and stuff. Because I said to him, you know, I, I've never, I've never seen a film camera. I've never been on set. I want you to tell me as much as possible. But if you explain bits and pieces to me, it really helps me understand the process. And what I found was instead of being kind of like overwhelmed by it or bored with it or anything like that, I was absolutely fascinated. So I'm not saying I want to be a cinematographer or anything like that because that's, you know, a a massive skill set. But there was something that kind of really like piqued my interest. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I want to know some more about this myself. And I'm the same. I've always loved the behind the scenes stuff, uh, uh, you know, 
um, even uh, like one of my very, very first uh, making of books, which I've got on my shelves is uh, The Making of Terminator 2, which I got way back when I was about 15 or 16. So it's one of my favorite films. And just all those different stories and different bits and pieces were so interesting. And all of a sudden I found myself that, you know, to, I, I found that I was talking to people that were working within film and whatnot. And it was actually Sam Mason Bell had put out a open call on Twitter for a found footage anthology that he was looking to produce. And originally I'd kind of looked at it with a bit of interest because I like found footage as well. It's one of my favorite subgenres. And I was considering speaking to him um, and putting myself forward as a writer because that was what he was looking for um, originally. So I connected with Sam and we spoke about a couple of things. And I kind of thought to myself, again, that attitude of now or never, just if you don't ask, you don't get and, you know, make things happen. So I said, so Sam, this is ever so cheeky because I've got absolutely zero experience in any of this, apart from passion and enthusiasm and whatnot. But instead of being a writer, could you be a producer on this? Because like most people involved in films, one day it would be really cool to be a director because I've got a shitload of stories that I've written that are just ready to be adapted. But I don't know anything about that. I wouldn't know what to do to be a director. But if I work with you and be a producer, then I'm kind of sampling all the different bits that go into making a film and touching base with everybody that is involved with it. Could I do that? And he was like, yeah, of course you can. Because yeah. it was the whole kind of like learning on the job. Uh, and unfortunately, that um, project's kind of hit stale water at the moment because we were looking at different fundings and all those kind of things. But it was a real kind of eye opener. And of course, it got me in contact with Sam as well, who's an amazing director and cinematographer and everything else. And it was him that kind of said to me, you know, we've got all this equipment here. We know all these people. If you want to do something, let's make it happen for you. That's fantastic. And I think one that speaks to the the power of Twitter um, and kind of where we are as an industry at the moment. I was speaking to someone the other day and they were like, oh, I'm not on Twitter. And I was like, buddy, get on yep. Twitter because, yes, it is a cesspool. Yep. Yes, it is. Full of, you know, and we, we won't go into any detail about that because I'm sure if you're listening, you, you know, anybody knows. But, you know, there is also that very, very lovely collaborative yep. side. And um I, I think that's one thing about producing as well. It's like you don't really have a full understanding of it until you yes. do it. Um, and, you know, you, you can, like I, I uh, studied, uh, I went to film school and, you know, even having made films as a producer at uni, it's not really the same. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I, when you're in the real world, yeah. quote unquote, real world. Um, so yeah, I think like, yeah, that's absolutely the best way to learn. And you also have like a front seat to learn about all of the other departments yes. from all the department heads as well. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, that's an amazing thing to do. It's just to go, I'm just going to go, <laughs> you know, and because, because that's, that's the way it's done because, you know, you can try and build up experience and stuff. I don't mean you personally, but I mean build up experience or research and all that kind of stuff and think that you're ready, but then you will get to sit and realize that you're not yes. ready. But then it's exactly the same as someone who maybe hasn't done that research as well. It's just getting out there and, uh, and going for it. You, uh, you kind of got some experience in producing and recently you've wrapped production on your short film. Yes. Her. You're in post on that at the yes. moment. Could you, could you give me a little bit of info on how her came about? 
um, how production went and uh, kind of kind of where things stand with it at the moment. Yeah, definitely. So again, just that attitude of, do you know what? I keep saying I want to be a director. I keep saying that's kind of like the end goal. Let's just bloody do it. You've got so many stories ready to go. Let's just do it. Which again, that's the good thing of coming from the writing background and having, um, before I did Sausages, I've had my own short story collection um, and I've got various stories and anthologies and things. So I had this like, you know, catalogue of stuff ready to go. Um, but also realistically knowing that my first film, I wanted it to be very, um, it was obviously going to be very short. It needed to be very contained. We ended up that it needed to be filmed in my house because of just logistics and money and all that kind of thing. So I went through a few different stories that I had um, and I had this one called Her, which is basically it's two um, POVs. Um, it starts off with Her and it moves to him. Um, so two things that happen, uh, sorry, the same thing happens, but from the two different perspectives. And because it's only about five minutes, that's really all I can say at the moment because otherwise it, it will sure. give too much away. Um, uh-huh. and really it was, I chose that particular one out of necessity because as I said, it needed to be something because it, it's filmed in a, what looks like a prison cell. So that was easy to replicate in my front room, you know, just some old, um, dust sheets and decorating stuff and a, a chair and some chains. And it was only two people. Um, and I knew again, from talking to Sam and meeting various people that he knew, I knew that Bella Rich and Chris Mills would be perfect to play those two characters. Um, mm-hmm. but even though it was only ever going to be a really short and really basic film, I did everything that you needed to do so I came up with the budget I shot list it I storyboarded it I did you know I I was a producer and the director on it um I got um my friend Rebecca Wilcox came and she was an AD we had every so we, even though it was really a, a very small production we did everything that was necessary for the experience and I treated it in that way as well so I didn't treat it like it was um, going to be, you know, just something that might get stuck on YouTube one day. We treated it as something that, you know, let's do our very, very best with what we've got. You know, we might just have, you know, our, our uh, <laughs> well, there is a werewolf in it. Our werewolf head might just be a 20 pound mask I got on Amazon, you know, but let's do the best that we can. Sure. And all of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, managed to get uh, a student. Um, to come and do the sound and different because she wanted some experience and she's the daughter of a friend of mine so different bits and pieces like that and we had a really good time um there were some definite learning experiences from it which was the the entire point of it you know there's things that I would do differently when it comes to footsteps and whatnot but again that was that was the entire reason for doing it not only would I, well, I have something that we're hoping we'll be able to submit to a couple of local festivals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, something on internet, maybe database, or you know, so if anybody said to me, "Oh, you're a director, are you?" We'll prove it. Then I will be able to say, "Okay, here we go. Here's the real. This is what I've done," sort of thing. But um, mm-hmm. it was all to do with learning the process and everything. And again, that was my first time that Sam brought his Black Magic camera, and that's the first time I'd seen a proper camera like that in action. Yeah. And it was amazing. It was actually like magic, you know, <laughs> being able to mm-hmm. see those different bits and pieces. And even though the set was my living room, 
it still felt amazing to be able to do all those bits and pieces and just I honestly um even though it doesn't come across necessarily like this but I can be quite shy and a few days beforehand like the nerves kind of settled in and one of the big things was I I don't know if I can call action in front of these people I'm gonna feel like an idiot saying that and in the heat of the moment, it just comes out and you're just like, action! It's just, and I, I, I feel like Steven Spielberg now said that. Yeah, yeah. It was brilliant. It was, we had such a good time, yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important to kind of, um, you know, I, in November, I had uh, something that was, that sounds incredibly similar. Uh, shot it in my flat um, a couple of weeks before I moved out. And, you know, I had, had no money. All my friends kind of just like, just chipped yeah. in. And it was like, you know, we're just going to do the best that we can with what we've yep. got. Um, I think, you know, don't tell anybody, but I got some, all the wardrobe was either my wardrobe, like I literally raided my own cupboard. <laughs> um, and I bought specific because there were some things that had to all match between a few characters. And I just went to H&M and then I was like, do not cut those labels off. Do not cut them off. If you're going to eat food, take it off because these are all going back tomorrow morning. So, and for, fortunately, like, yeah, it all went back. So that saved me about 150 nice. days. Um, so yeah, like, you know, right there with you. And it, it, like you say, it is so, so important to kind of be able to learn yes. because you don't want to do something which is much higher stakes yes. and then make mistakes on that, particularly when it gets more complicated. One of the other people have kind of kicked in their money. Yeah. Um, the responsibilities suddenly get a lot higher when it when there's money involved, you know. Um, but yeah, and and like you say, learnings that you're going to take on to uh, to your next project as well. And I think that's the only way that we're going to be able to learn and improve is if we kind of take that leap. We make these little films in our apartments with what we've yep. got, um, and then we can kind of step back, take a look, and go, okay, here's where I'm strong. Here's where I'm weak. And here's what I didn't know then that I know exactly. now. And I'm going to take on to my next That's project. It, yeah. um, so what um, you mentioned that there were a couple of uh, lessons that you learned uh, from her that you're going to take on to footsteps. Yeah. Like, are there any in particular that you can talk about at the moment without giving too much away? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, one big one for me was uh, even though we knew it was only going to be short. Uh, we only had probably in total about seven hours to shoot it, which to people that don't know sounds ages. And then to anyone that does it, it gets you the absolute bare minimum. And mm -hmm. um, if, I'd, if I'd have done that again, and it, what I will be taking forward to Footsteps is that we were going to have three days to shoot so that we get all of that extra coverage because even though sam's doing magic with the editing there was still some bits so i'm looking through the script and thinking even though i shot list it and storyboarded it and did everything just in the heat of the moment a couple of bits that probably should have got shot or covered didn't um and it it, it doesn't matter because again it was for it was a learning experience but it's a big thing that i now know going forward is, you know, keep the camera rolling, get too much. We'll be able to use some of it as B-roll for different bits and pieces anyway. But yeah, always get too much, always overshoot if you can, you know, and you're not, you haven't got um, a production studio company or somebody breathing down your neck. But, you know, we haven't got sort of the, um, 
that we haven't got the the pressure of like sending dailies back to the studios and all those kind of things. Sure. But at the same time, it means you don't always know exactly what you've got when you've just done it in that short amount of time. So that that mm-hmm. that was the big thing. Um, the rest of it was really like I likened it to the fact that you know people like Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi were running around with like a Super Eight making this when they were like teenagers kind of thing. Mm. I I'm never going to be that standard, but I never did that as a teenager. So this is my equivalent now. This is what we did exactly as you said. You know, like in your flat, this is what this was my equivalent of. You know, with the um with the clay monsters in front of your dad's camera kind mm. of thing. I didn't do that when I was a kid, but I'm doing it now for practice. And yeah, it was the the vast majority um was things I was actually surprised that I knew things that gave me confidence and I was like oh yeah I did know how to do that I do know about that lighting I do know about doing that kind of thing so that was that was a real boost actually and then the the so the big lesson is definitely to have more time than you think that you need yeah I um I found exactly the same thing I was like we can do it in a day easy we can do it in a day no problem and I kind of boarded it and did the shot list like very specifically knowing like I can uh, kind of just punch in on certain bits like rather than kind of um, move angles or anything like that and then I got three quarters of the way through the day and I was like Fuck, I made another like six hours yep. um, but that's when you find out like what you're made of yes. do you know what I mean because like you say having to cut certain shots yes. and stuff like that and um, but yeah I've had that thing as well where I'm like um, like oh I didn't know that I knew that or like where did that idea yeah. come from or well like I've just made this decision and I'm like you know when you're driving somewhere and you kind of just and then you're you're at your destination and you're like what just happened yeah. I don't want to get here you know what I mean <laughs> it's like you kind of come out of like a bit of a blackout and you go oh shit I've just made this decision that I didn't realize my brain was doing exactly yeah um, <laughs> but um but yeah no that's um that's great so what can you tell me about footsteps at the moment because you've just launched your uh, crowdfunding campaign which is doing really really yep. well um when does the campaign end again? Do you have a date? Um, well, it runs for 30 days. So um, it's got about another, it must be about another 23, another 23 days. Yeah. Okay. So looking at 1st, 2nd of April, 31st of March? Maybe? Yeah, something like that. I can't remember, but yes. Okay. <laughs> so if people are listening to this between the 10th and the 31st of March, there is still about two or three weeks left so there's a link in the description below so go hit that up um so yeah what what can you tell us about footsteps without giving too much work? okay so steps um originally i wrote it for um an anthology called diabolica britannica um and that anthology was um purely launched at the start of lockdown um, it was a charity anthology and all of the proceeds went to help um, doctors and nurses and the NHS and all of that kind of thing. So basically, um, a guy called Keith, um, Keith Bird just said, can you submit a story? And a friend of mine called Catherine um, said, Janine, um, I know that you're looking to get something published. Why don't you send it off to that? Um, and basically the story was heavily influenced although i hadn't even realized it at the time but it's heavily heavily if i can speak influenced by um the ritual um which i'd read the book first before you know but it's the adam neville film um dog soldiers and the descent and it hadn't even you know that's all subconscious but 
it's it is cool. it's it's in there definitely and what it is is a couple it's set in the 90s um a couple of um uni students becky and felicity are going off into the woods um there is there's been over the decades um people have disappeared in this particular woods uh, so there's there's hints of like blair witch and that kind of stuff as well and um, mm. Felicity's doing her thesis, her university thesis, about why these people are disappearing. So they decide to spend the night in the woods. Um, and because it's a horror story, all hell breaks loose, basically, while they're in the woods. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Left me on a cliffhanger yeah. there. So now, <laughs> so now I'm definitely going to have to kick into the crowdfunder, and I'm definitely going to have to see the film at his festivals next year. <laughs> Uh, or later this year. Do you, do you, have you got a timeline on when um, when you're hoping to have well, it Well, we want to shoot it in September, but mm -hmm. because we would ideally love, and this is like dream, reach for the stars kind of thing, uh, but we would love to show it at Fright Fest. That's kind of like the big, big goal. And of course yeah. it has to, you know, one of the stipulations with Fright Fest is that it has to premiere there. So it right. would, that would be next August. So potentially it won't be available until then, which, which in one way is a bit of a ball ache because, you know, if you finish in September, you've got a long time. But also it means you've got mm -hmm. lots of time in post to be able to, you know, fix bits and pieces that need, if you suddenly need ADRs doing, if you suddenly need some pickups or whatnot, then we've got loads and loads of time to be able to work on it and make it the best it can. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, I think having that much time in pre-production as well is always a massive, massive luxury. Yes. So yeah, I mean, it may not be a bad thing. It may be a blessing in disguise. Um, you yeah. Know, uh, yeah, blessing in disguise. That's the yeah. Thing. <laughs> um, but no, that's uh, that's really exciting. So, and can I assume that you're also writing a whole bunch of other stuff at the moment as well? Uh, because you seem to be just, you know, uh, we follow each other on Twitter, and like I think you're kind of just consistently. <laughs> putting stuff out there is that right yes um and again that is harkening back to that's the luxury of having this kind of like pot of stories that i can dip into and just adapt into screenplays um so i've got another story which i absolutely love which is um a, a take on the hook man um urban legend um and quite a few of my stories because i used to be a police officer quite a few of my stories have um police as the main characters and this is a couple of detectives who are investigating a spate of murders in their town um by the hookman but they're almost vigilante type murders so it's like bad people that are being killed like drug dealers um someone that's been like um trafficking um young girls and stuff uh, uh really mm -hmm. nasty pedophiles so the the cops are almost in that kind of like we need to solve this because it's really bad but at the same time he's cleaning up our streets and only getting rid of the bad people so there's a whole kind of like who a lot of my stories tend to feature that kind of like who's the real monster question as well um which i quite cool. like that so Yes, I have um, different scripts which are currently kind of like being adapted. Um, but the next big thing, which is going to be starting relatively soon, probably because there's a lot of work involved, is Neil and I are in the making of The Descent next. Um, Great. Ready for, even though it won't be released till 2025, because that's when the 20 year anniversary is, there's a 
There's a lot of preparation. And what happened with sausages, because we only kind of spoke about doing it in like the December, January, and then it needed to be ready for the May, even though that kind of gave me a real kick up the ass to get on and do it, you know, it, it also was a very short period of time. And especially when you had people kind of like all over the world, like Kev McKid's obviously massive now because he's in Grey's Anatomy. So being able to pin him down for an interview and all those kind of things, there was more pressure. Whereas we've given ourselves a bit, a lot more time really this, this way so that we've got a bit more luxury. And we've got some really big names of people that we want to try because the descent is so, I mean, the dog soldiers is well loved, but it's also kind of a cult classic. Whereas the descent regularly makes people's top 10 lists all the time. You know, if you Google the descent and like news, it's still coming up in like articles all the time. People are constantly discovering it and talking about it. So Mm. we've got a lot of people that we want to interview for it as well. So yeah, exciting. Yeah, I mean, The Descent is one of those films that kind of, you don't forget it. I've watched it once, and I probably won't watch it again. Um, I love horror films, but I am a scaredy cat, like 100%. Like, um, I might have to watch it for the 20th um, anniversary, but I, you know, unless it's a special occasion, I dare not go back into the depth. Um, but uh, no, that's that's really exciting. Um, but yeah, true, true. Like uh, Dog Soldiers is very much cult classic. I think I um I remember watching it when I was younger, and it was like one film that really kind of solidified my love for yeah. horror. And I don't know why, but I kind of just never went back to it for a long time. And I watched it again maybe a year ago, and I was like, oh my god, like this really stands up yes. as like a really really good film. And um, it, I think in part because of the practical effects like it hasn't aged badly um whereas there are some films you know i watched uh rewatched the faculty um a few weeks ago and um incredible film but the the effects in that have not aged very well um i i still love it but but yeah i think you know dog soldiers in particular really really stands the test of time so, you know, we, we've spoken about Twitter uh, briefly um, and, you know, trying to make sure that it is a force for good where it can mm-hmm. be for, for filmmaking and stuff like that. But it'd be great to kind of get some uh, advice on your perspective on how to kind of navigate that world, because I think you use it really, really well. Um, you use it to kind of connect with people, uh, but also to champion other people as well, which, um, which I think is, um, which is great and we don't see enough of. Um, so yeah, could you, could you give me some of your thoughts on kind of how Twitter can be used for good when it comes to filmmaking, particularly horror filmmaking? Yeah, definitely. So I think you've already said there what I find is key, um, and that is it's um, use it to support others. Um, there's there's nothing false about me whatsoever. I am just exactly what you see is what you get um and i think because that is my approach in life um my approach online uh, with everything people kind of realize that very quickly that i'm not necessarily after something and i think that that's really useful as well um if anything i'm more like how can i help you what can i do you know i'm mm-hmm. i'm here today and i'm you know i've got i have got some followers not loads but i've got enough what you know who wants a shout out who wants this who wants that and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of things are, that you have done in your life can be used in other ways, like transferable skills and whatnot. And after I left the police, um, 
I ummed and heard about becoming a teacher and worked in a, in a, it was actually in my daughter's primary school for a while. And it was just, again, I absolutely loved just connecting with the children and uh, like making sure that they were always like really positive about things and, you know, like initiating games in the playgrounds and all of those kind of stuff. And it's very much what I do on Twitter, you know, like, and I'm mm-hmm. also really um, happy to appropriately, obviously, but share things. So I'm not one of these yeah. people that like, so it's, you have to draw a line. You have to have the balance. Like if somebody who I had had no contact with whatsoever suddenly messaged me and said, um, I, and I've, I have this a lot, actually, I've got a script. Can you send it to Neil? You know, I, I get a lot of people that presume that Neil and I are like besties. We are really good friends, but mm-hmm. I'm also not going to be, you know, I'm not his agent. I'm not going to be passing stuff on to him. Um, so in that case, I'd have to be like, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. You know, it's really rude, first of all, just to ask me that kind of question. Um, there are ways and means of trying to get your work to Neil. Good luck. I hope that you do, but not through me. Whereas if it's somebody that um, I know and they say, I'd really like to speak to Neil about something, could you possibly put me in touch with them, uh, with Neil? What I would say would be, no, I'm not going to give you any of Neil's private information, but mm-hmm. I'll speak to Neil about you and pass, and, and, and those kind of things. So um, there's a lot of stuff where, People keep things for themselves and they'll be like, I've got this information, but I'm not going to share it. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen, it's the same within like uh, writing. I, I've seen this open call and I haven't got anything that I can submit to it. So therefore I'm not going to tell anyone else about it. Well, that to me is just mm-hmm. bollocks. You know, if you just share it, if you can't do anything, so what? You probably know 10 people that have got a story that work really well for that. So tell them, put people in touch with each other, share it just just that and that's exactly how i use social media um i i find people i also um it doesn't matter how famous the person is i i will uh, nine times out of ten it's probably not them using their social media anyway you know the more famous they are obviously they have a, a, a social media team and whatnot but there's absolutely there's no harm in reaching out and sending Stephen King a message or sending, you know, somebody really huge because you just never know when they might actually respond to you. And if they don't, you've lost literally nothing. And if they do, you never know. You might have made the most amazing connection possible. So put yourself out there, you know. Don't incessantly tag people and stuff either because that can just be really annoying. But just once in a while, tell somebody, if you really, if you saw a film and you absolutely loved it, tell the director, tell someone, oh, that was an amazing film. You know, what are you doing next? Allow them to be able to share something. If you've read a story that you've really liked by someone, say, oh, if anybody likes vampire stories, you should really read this because it was so awesome. There's so much negativity. Everybody's so happy to jump on and say, oh, this is the shittest thing I've ever seen. Oh my God, I would never do this. So I'd never do that. I, I, I just, I never do that kind of thing. I always try and be positive. And if I don't like something, I very much accept that it's something that I don't like and it's not my cup of tea, mm-hmm. but perhaps lots of other people do. So I just don't say anything about it. I think that's just a good way to operate in life generally, <laughs> you know, um, 
but yeah, no, I'm the same. I had a similar conversation with uh, with Jed Shepard. Yeah. Um, uh, on the podcast I love Jed, about yeah. it, and yeah, lovely, lovely guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm uh, I, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's fantastic, and I think it's words to live by, a hundred percent. We could all do with a little bit more of the uh, the Janine Pipe yeah. approach to uh, social media, I think. <laughs> um, and you know, you've you've obviously had like a really really productive couple of years, and it's it's really really exciting to kind of just have a bit of a um, you know to be able to kind of watch that happen on Twitter and to be able to talk to you as well. But I wondered if you had any. Um, you know, nuggets of filmmaking advice that maybe have been passed on to you by people that you've worked with or come into contact with um, and anything that you've learned along the way from uh, making her being in pre-production on Footsteps, anything that you think would be a valuable piece of information to pass on to somebody who is maybe making their first, second film or or thinking about taking that leap uh, like you did in March 2020? Um, I don't know how valuable it would be, but just echoing back to everything I've said before. Um, it was actually um, one of my favorite podcasts is The Movie Crypt with um, Adam Green and Joe Lynch. Um, I absolutely love that. And I remembered um, Adam Green saying at some point when he was talking about a hatchet um, that he had this, you know, he'd written the script um, and like all of us, he, you know, his ultimate dream would have been for, you know, like a Blumhouse or someone to come knocking on the door and say, we want to buy your script. We want to make it and everything. And he realized very quickly that that wasn't going to happen. So he decided that he would make it happen. And that coupled with um, another person who I am hugely inspired and influenced by is Damien Leone. Um, and obviously to do with Terrifier, Terrifier 2 and all of that. He, again, just kind of epitomizes for me that DIY approach to, you know, he literally does everything, you know, <laughs> he was probably sweeping the floors as well. He literally does every single job. But it's that kind of like can-do attitude of I'm not going to wait around for someone to discover me. I've got this idea. I've got the bare bones of like, you know, a production and some money and whatnot. Let's see what we can do. I've only got this amount, so I can only do this. And look what he's ended up achieving. I think that he is such a massive inspiration. So my only advice is, you know, I'm 43 and I'm just starting out doing this kind of thing. But no matter how old you are, no matter where you're coming from, if you want to do it, do it. Find a way to do it. Um, and if you, like me, have no technical expertise, because people say, well, I was listening to um, something the other day and the person said, um, if you want to make a movie, you can do it for like just a couple of quid because just take your iPhone out and go and shoot something. Now, I 100% agree with that, but I can barely, you know, record myself on an iPhone when we're on holiday kind of thing. That That side of things I'm not very good at. But then I managed to find someone who is, which is Sam in this case. So find someone if that's not your speciality, but just go and do it and just don't be afraid of making mistakes. Again, some of that mentality of teaching comes in, in that kind of you know aspect. Just go out and do it and you'll be surprised. Also, listen to as many podcasts as possible. 
watch those making ofs on the DVDs and whatnot, read the books like sausages, but also, you know, um, any, and don't worry about how old some of the books are as well. Um, I think it's the Robert Rodriguez book, which like everybody talks about and says that that's a rebel without a crew. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, so good. Something like 25 years old, but it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. kind of like the ethos and all of the stuff to do, the logistics are still the same. It's just the technology that changes. So just really treat it with anything. If you were going, I don't know, sea fishing for the first time, you probably wouldn't just sit in a boat and expect the fish to come up. You'd probably learn about it. You'd probably have to buy some equipment. You'd probably watch a YouTube video. So so I don't know why I pick sea fishing or anything. (laughs) It's it's great though. I love it. No, no, but it's perfect. I think it's it's a perfect analogy because... (laughs) If you're sitting there in your boat with your uh, with your line out and stuff like that, waiting for the fish to come to yeah. you with no bait exactly. or anything like that, they're not coming. Exactly. And you're going to go hungry that night, <laughs> you know? Exactly. That's it. And, you know, we're not all going to be making films that end up being successful like Terrifier to, you know, allow somebody like Damien to inspire you, but don't be put off when your film kind of like doesn't even make your local festival. Just keep going. Just keep trying. You know, it took Neil six years to get somebody to agree to the Dog Soldiers script. I think he wrote something like 20 different scripts within that time. And again, he just, you know, he cites the fact that he had a massive amount of time of pre-production so that by the time he got on set, he might have been directing his first feature. But he knew everything. You know, you could ask him any question about that script. And, you know, like, uh, how do you want this block? He knew exactly. How do you want, you know, the lighting here? He knew because he'd had all of that preparation. So just, mm-hmm. yep, just go out and do it. And if you can't do it yourself on your phone because you're an idiot like I am, get a mate who is technically minded and get them to do it. Go and grab your friends in a bottle of ketchup and squirt each other with it and create a movie. Huge thank you once again to Janine for being so generous with her time. It was amazing to get to know her and get to know more about her experience. And just, it's always good to hear that, you know, fuck it kind of attitude. Like, I'm just going to go and see. And if I don't know how to do something, I'm either going to learn or I'm going to surround myself with the people that do know how to do it and I'll learn with them. Um, you know, that, that that's, that's what we've been saying for this entire time throughout this podcast, all the episodes that we've done. Um is that's what you need to do really is just kind of put yourself out there um understand where you're strong understand where you're weak see how you can help other people and see where you might need help from others as well so that you can get out there and make your film um it's lovely to see it's lovely to hear and you know we can't wait to see her can't wait to see footsteps and um just generally really excited to see what Janine does next because I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of Janine and uh, Janine's work. And, um, you know, you, you can buy her book, Sausages, uh, The Making of Dog Soldiers. I have it. It's a lovely book. Really, really enjoy reading it. Um, and I'm really excited to read uh, the the book about The Descent. Um, still not, you know, confident going to watch that film again because it is fucking scary. And, uh, you know... I am a massive scaredy cat, but yeah, maybe for the 20th anniversary, we'll see. Um, 
But speaking of footsteps, uh, Janine's film that is um, executive produced by Neil Marshall it is currently on Indiegogo. And at the time of recording, I think they are about 93% of the way there. They've got a little bit of time left. But if you feel like uh, jumping in, helping them get it over the line, you can find a link to their crowdfunding page in the show notes below. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that this is the last episode of uh, season one of the London Horror Society podcast. And it is. So we are pressing pause just for a little while. Um, we've That doesn't mean we're not going to be doing anything. Doesn't mean we're not going to be recording. Uh, doesn't mean we're not going to be getting new guests and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to make the show better. Um, with that, one thing I wanted to ask you guys is, do you find the show useful? Um, are we asking the right questions? Um, you know, who would you like to see more of uh, or hear more of? Like, we really want this to be a useful resource for filmmakers um we want it to be something that people can go to and learn something from and you know hopefully give people a bit of insight into the independent filmmaking process so it would be really useful to hear from uh, our listeners so that you can tell us what you think feel free to be honest i mean don't be mean we have feelings but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, an, an honest uh, review or, or some thoughts from yourselves just on whether you find this to be useful or something that you think we should keep doing, that would be really, really helpful for us. Um, you know, because I, I, I don't want to just keep doing something that I think is the right thing without asking you guys. Because ultimately it's for you guys. And if you don't find it useful let us know and and we'll switch things up and to try and make it a more useful thing uh for for our listeners um but yeah drop us a comment on instagram send us a tweet shoot us an email um yeah let us know tell us uh tell us how you feel tell us what you want um we have got a bunch of ideas for season two we're going to be switching up the format a little bit uh, we are going to be adding in some sections to the ep- episodes. So it won't just be um, uh, interviews. There are going to be a couple of other bits and pieces in there as well. Don't worry, we're not going to start reviewing films um, at all. No, so don't don't worry about that. You don't have to hear about my shitty takes on anything, uh, <laughs> which is for the best. Um but, you know, while we're uh, kind of putting the plans together for season two, we are also doing a lot of stuff um, at the London Horror Society in general. Um, at this point, I'm not at liberty to say exactly what those things are, which is annoying. And I hate kind of going, oh, big things coming. You know, if you listen to my episode a few weeks ago, you, you, you know that um, I'm not a big fan of that. But one thing I will say is uh, mark your calendars for the 24th of April. Um, and keep, um, ah, no, I'm going to get in trouble for that. We, so Chris and I are going to be back. We're going to be doing a bit of a uh, recap on season one. Uh, and on the day that we do kind of a retrospective episode, there is also going to be a really, really, really cool London Horror Society announcement. Um, that's all that I can say right now without upsetting people <laughs> uh, i mean chris is at fright fest fuck it i'm now nah, joking i'm not gonna um anyway 
Before I sign off, I just want to say a big thank you to every guest that we've had this season. Um, Alex and Keir of Switchblade Cinema, Nick Taylor of the Nick Taylor Horror Show, Vince Knight, Jed Shepard, Michael Levy, Jonathan Barkan, Graham Humphreys, and of course, this week's guest, Janine Pipe. If, you, uh, if, you, if you're going to be scrambling for something to listen to on the weekly and you want your fill of uh, filmmaking, uh, writing, creating podcasts... Um, a couple that I would check out or suggest that you listen to are Script Apart with Al Horner. Uh, it is an outstanding screenwriting podcast. Um, uh, you know, it speaks for itself, but go, go check that out if you haven't listened to it yet. The Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith. The Ghouls Magazine podcast and Save Trash Cinema. Uh, I will put links to all of those in the show notes below. That's going to do it for me for now. Huge thank you to everybody who has listened uh, over the last couple of months. This has honestly been a real privilege to be able to talk to the guests that we've had, get the insights that we've gotten, um, and for all of you just to take the time to listen as well. Truly, genuinely does mean an awful lot to me personally and the London Horror Society on the whole. Uh, we're, we're really, really grateful. There are a billion podcasts out there that you could be listening to um, instead of us and the fact that you give us your time is uh, is really really humbling and it you know just makes us want to be better and kind of put more and more effort into the podcast so thank you I'm really really grateful if you would like to join the London Horror Society you can do so by clicking the link below uh, you can check out our website Twitter Instagram all of that good stuff you can also follow the podcast on our own social media channels all in the links below you can follow me on Twitter at JumpInJimDexter and you can also follow Chris at Chris Niles on Twitter as well. The London Horror Society podcast is a production of Sick Hips in association with the London Horror Society with intro and outro music by Terraplex. We will be back very, very soon. We are going to miss you and I can't wait to jump back in the chair again and show you what we've got planned for season two. Until then... Stay weird, stay spooky, keep up the good work.